0: Also, if you've got a friend who you know could benefit from hearing this episode, please share the love with them. My goal is always to spread positive impact through the sharing of knowledge, and I would be honored if you could help me achieve this goal. Today's guest is Patrick Lyons. He is someone who embodies the discipline equals freedom mentality. While he works for Microsoft as an engineer by day, his discipline and persistence have helped him build a profitable fitness business called the Lion Shred on the side of his job. He has also managed to grow a large social media following, participate in American Ninja Warrior, has spoken on the TEDx stage, and he is currently in the process of writing his book. Patrick is relentless about the pursuit of his own self-improvement, but he also spends a lot of his time pouring his knowledge out so others can achieve their own goals as well. In this episode, he shares some parts of his story that he has never shared before, so I'm excited for y'all to listen to this. So please give it up for the Lion himself, Patrick Lyons. What's up, y'all? CJ Finley here, back with another episode of the Thrive on Life podcast. And today, I have a very special guest who is in town, and I wanted to make sure that I had him on the podcast before he left. I'd love to welcome Mr. Patrick Lyons. How are you doing today, Patrick? Thank you for the welcome, CJ. I'm doing really well. Really happy to be here, in here in general and in Austin. Heck yeah. So you graduated from UT Austin, correct? Yeah. And one of the things that you kind of fell in love with while you are at Austin was a passion for health and fitness. And one of the things that connected us was your passion for that. And I'd love to start off with understanding a little bit more of what started that passion for not only yourself to get healthier and get into the gym, but you helping other people. Where did that start?
1: Yeah. So there are a couple of different starting points, you know, based on the questions you asked, one being my own start. So like what got me into it? Basically, if we go way back to the beginning, when I was like nine or 10 years old, as weird as it is to say, even at that young of an age, I had some insecurities in my body. It was like 10-year-old Patrick or nine-year-old Patrick, however old I was, I looked in the mirror and I just didn't like what I saw. Um, And I felt skinny and weak. I was quite skinny. Like that's the way I started. And that's a really hard thing to deal with emotionally at that young of an age. But I guess that was the first trigger for me. It was the sort of thing where as of that. Realization that I wasn't happy with the way I felt or looked, I was seeking something more, something that would help change that. And so, being as I guess susceptible as I was, as that young of an age, I see the movie Batman Begins. Batman drops to the floor, does push-ups, and I'm like, "That's it. That's what I got to do." And so, I literally started doing that. I would do push-ups every single day. I didn't know any better. I didn't know like if that was right or wrong. It just felt like what I was supposed to do. Um, and so. That was really my start in fitness, was doing push-ups and then eventually added sit-ups. And I was doing that at the age of 10 onwards, like every day for probably like five years. And throughout that time, I did start getting more curious about things. Like I I looked up, you know, different push-up varieties and I would find like Master Ken Weikert, an army master fitness trainer who showed all these different types of push-ups. And now I felt like I'm doing like some sort of progressive overload. But again, I'm 10 or 11 or however old I am. I don't know any better, but it's like I'm doing something and I'm finding that, like, okay, at least I am getting stronger. I can do more push ups. Didn't necessarily change the way I looked because I knew nothing about nutrition. So it's like I'm just doing a bunch of push ups, not much else. Um, so, you know, you fast forward a while. I get into like at home workouts where I'm like following video workout programs. Maybe I'm doing a little bit of pull ups, sit ups, push ups, maybe like have a 25 pound dumbbell, just whatever was available in my house. Then, um, as I'm going through that, I finally start to see like some sort of like uh, a body change where it's like midway through high school, I start to like actually gain muscle because I start getting nutrition help. I actually got my own fitness coach, online fitness coach. So like I never met the guy, but he knew a heck of a lot about like the science behind macros and like how many calories I should be eating. And so I think I'm probably 15, 16, 17 by that time. um, I'm actually growing and being that I, I went from super skinny to like a little bit bigger, a little bit of confidence boost. And it's like I start to finally feel like, wow, fitness is a really powerful thing. Um, but then college hits and I felt busier than ever. I'm now in a gym-based environment and I stay in this tiny little apartment where like the whole at-home program didn't really work anymore because I don't physically have the space to do anything. Um but I felt lost in the gym. Like I had never worked out in the gym before. So I didn't know what to do. You combine that with feeling busy with college. I completely stopped working out for probably six months. And so I got in like the worst shape of my life kind of up to that point because it was like, I did not have anything to do. I, I just felt lost. So that was like a rut, you know, it was like, that was hard to go through because now it's like, finally I'm starting to get confidence. And then it's just like, straight back to kind of where I started. I didn't get super skinny again, but it was like, you know, body compositional changes, more fat, less muscle. So then, finally, I started learning how to work out in the gym. And this is what I would say was the final turning point for me. I'll never forget the date because it was like a challenge group in in like a Facebook community. It was March 2nd, 2015. Was the day I started working out in the gym with a program in which I knew how to work out in the gym. And that skyrocketed my confidence over the next 90 days because I finally got to a point where like I was big enough that I felt confident in my size. I was strong. I felt strong. I was confident in the gym. I no longer felt like I didn't belong. And it was like, it transformed every aspect of my life. It was like, it's not just the way I look. It's the way I look, the way I feel, the way I carry myself. And it had such a substantial change in my life that I was like, I can't help but want to help others experience the same thing. Like if I went from that skinny 10-year-old kid, insecure in his body, to me now loving the way I look, feel, walk about life, all of that, like there's nothing more powerful than that transformation. And I was like, if I can do that for others, there's just nothing more fulfilling.
0: Thank you for sharing so much of that. And like, I know there's so much that goes into that story, but you kept it as succinct, I think as possible. And one of the reasons I wanted to start off with that cu- question is one, it connects you and I, and that's kind of how we connected in the, in the beginning, but also I'm always thinking about the audience. And one of the things that you specifically described, there's like, how old are you right now?
1: 24, 25.
0: Happy birthday. Right. Thank you. But that's a 15 year like journey. If you had started at 10, and I think a lot yeah. of people struggle with, especially as adults is they, they want it and they want it right now and that's not how life works and one of the things that i think changes people's mentality is kind of that insecurity is i'm like enough is enough yeah what in you when you were when you were younger walk us through kind of more of the emotional side of that because i think a lot of people again are insecure with their bodies and like what they look like but how is that showing up in your actual life great great question
1: um so that I, I completely forgot about this. It's it's the sort of thing where it's like it's so far removed now that it's hard to almost think back to it. But like when you ask it, it immediately popped in my mind. Uh, the best example is birthday parties that were at swimming pools. I didn't take off my shirt. It was like that's how insecure I was in my body. It was like I, I knew it was so normal to take off your shirt. Everyone else was doing it regardless of whether they were overweight, fit, anywhere in between. But 10-year-old Patrick wouldn't. It was just like I... I didn't like the way I looked. And I, I I thought that if I took my shirt off, it was like I was exposing a part of myself that I, I wasn't comfortable with. And that's what was like so incredible to overcome. Like as, as funny it's, as it is yeah. now. Now it's like I take off my shirt in like every picture on Instagram yeah. practically. <laughs> and it's like 10-year-old Patrick could have never even dreamed of it. Um, It's so like that's a big thing that I, I look back to. And it's like, I have this distinct memory of like one of the first times I took my shirt off at a birthday party. I don't remember what age I was, but, um, somewhere around the age of 15, when I was like actually doing solid workouts, someone was like, dang, Patrick, you're getting strong, man. And it's like, it's not that I was looking for the validation, but it was like, it felt good. Uh, it was like, I was getting happier with myself. And then now to have a little bit of validation, a little bit of acknowledgement, was like, holy cow, this is kind of working. Um, But yeah, it's like, that was a big thing. The other thing was like um, wearing tank tops. I never owned a tank top again until I think it was 15 or 16 years old. It was like the idea of showing my arms that I'd always felt were just so skinny was such a foreign concept to me. And so it's like those little things that are normal for a lot of people, maybe you feel excluded from. And then you gain confidence in yourself. It's something that you decide in your own mind, but maybe fitness is partially responsible for helping facilitate that. And then it becomes lifestyle. Like, it's like, I wear tanks all the time now. I take off my shirt all the time. I feel comfortable with my shirt off. And it's just like, there is something intangible to that that is so incredibly powerful. And so that those are the best examples I can give of how that manifested. And I love how you
0: start talking about intangibles because I, com- I completely understand this. And where... It kind of, what you said, I love what you said about how it creates, it's like an insurance policy over every aspect of your life. I've actually never heard that phrase before, so you definitely need to coin that. But where, when you were younger, did it kind of transfer over? Because for me, I noticed as soon as I started working on the health and fitness, it transferred over to school, jobs, girls, everything. yeah, And I think that's that's one thing that a lot of people don't anticipate to happen. They're, they're just after, I want to lose weight or I want to gain weight. They don't kind of un- anticipate what the major facets of their life that are going to change. Run us through, because I know as an adult where it impacts your life, but I think a lot of people wear their insecurities as an adult what they have right now, it stemmed from when they were a child and it just brewed. They either go one way or the other way. They're yeah. either like you and they start going on the path of, okay, I'm going to improve myself or they continue to just keep getting stuck in those ruts that you're, yeah. that you're talking about. So I'd love to hear like, how did it impact you? So you're 10 and you start gaining a little bit of strength, not necessarily what you look like, but yeah. then obviously you get into high school and I know that you're also scholastically, a high achiever as well. Mm -hmm. How did the fitness side and the health and wellness side impact the student that was Patrick and the socialite that was Patrick?
1: Yeah, so great question. I think that one of the things that I started doing from a very young age is like I tracked and I documented my fitness journey. It's like I have- Why? Why? What what in you made you do that? I think it was like I needed a checkbox. It was like I knew that I needed to work out, but- I felt like if I had a checkbox, it was like, that was going to keep me consistent. It was going to hold me accountable. I guess I was creating an accountability system without having anyone else in my life to go to. And so like, that was a big thing. Um, I literally, I've saved the calendars. So like recently I looked back at all of them and it's so cool to see. It's like, it would say like day one, uh, 21st of May workout and, the reason it was called the 21st of May workout because like that was the day I started this program I created. I don't remember what age, but like 12 or 13. And so then it was like I would write day one, day two, day three. And then I would write numbers of like I did 30 pushups and I was like, I know I want to do 31 by X date. And so like I'm just doing all these little things literally as like a 10 or 12 or 11 year old. Again, I have no idea the exact ages, but, you know, <laughs> young, young yeah. kid. Um and so, like, if I, if I look at how that parallels with school, it's like I became very diligent about tracking things numerically from a very young age in something that I cared about being fitness. And then I was very diligent about everything within school. Like, up until, you know, probably college, I was writing down, you know, every assignment I needed to do. I was very diligent about always doing my homework, doing it on a daily basis. Uh, as simple as those things sound, I know that not everyone does their homework or studies on a regular basis, but I definitely was. Um, so that was a big thing. And then I definitely had at least a couple friends who were doing, you know, similar workout programs. So it's like, it gave it some, gave us something to talk about and to compete against each other with. I wasn't in sports after the age of, I think 11, I did soccer from ages three to 11. I did, you know, little things here and there, but because I didn't have a sporting event to compete in, uh, you know, at the very least I had friends who were working out, and I could kind of compare and be like, well, what are you doing? What kind of numbers are you hitting? Uh, and then it's like, yeah, at the foundational level, it was like now I had a kind of a carrot to chase. It's like I definitely had friends who were bigger and stronger than me. And it was like, well, I want to do that. Why can't I? So I guess these are the little things that, that it was transpiring into. And fitness, like I guess everything in my life, it had to be disciplined. It had to be regimented. And what I mean by that is that with the tracking of the numbers every single day. That was my way of starting a habit at a very young age. I think I realized intuitively that having a habit made me self-accountable. It's like, if it's just a thing that maybe you do sometimes and you don't have any definite parameters around it, you're far less likely to actually do it by tracking it daily. It was going to happen. And that habit practice is what transpired into um, my school, my scholastic life. So like, As a second grader, I was getting like B's, C's, and A's. So it wasn't like a consistent thing. I wasn't a great student. By the time I was in like fourth grade, I was in the gifted and talented program. Like I was like, I had taken the IQ test. I could have tested out of GT, gifted and talented, and gone to the leap school, but I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to leave all my friends behind. So I just stayed being, I guess, like as high of a performer as I could within like my fourth and fifth grade classes. Um, And it just comes down to the habits again. It's like I was mentioning, I was tracking all the assignments I had to do and I made sure that I was working on my work on a daily basis. I don't think I, like I'm reflecting back on it now. I probably didn't think of it so, you know, intellectually then, but at at the foundational level, that's what it was. It was a daily habit practice and that never went away. In high school, um, I literally studied or did homework every single day. I went in on day one with a goal. That's probably the other thing. I had a goal in mind within fitness. I knew that I wanted to be confident in myself. I knew I wanted to be bigger. I had this larger-than-life thing off in the distance. Same thing happened in school. I walked into my first day of ninth grade telling myself, I'm going to be valedictorian. That was my 100% goal on day one, and I made that happen. And it happened through what I did every single day. It's not like in a single day, you can become valedictorian. It's like what you did over the course of months and years. Um... And that, I I guess fitness was probably the first long-term goal I ever set for myself. And I think I'm realizing this as I'm telling the story, which is
0: kind of cool. And the the cool thing about it is it it applies, again, across the board to everything else. And we have so many similarities where, for me, I did play sports. So I wasn't into the fitness side of things. Like, I didn't do push-ups. I didn't do any of those things. But I was constantly challenging myself. Like, I wanted to be the best athlete possible. And it showed up on the on the field or on the court. And all the time I would get asked like, how how are you that good at what you do? And my friends that were in my neighborhood knew because like I would practice, we had a basketball hoop, we had yeah. a hockey net, like I had a soccer net in my backyard. Like I was constantly playing, like that was it. On the weekends when my friends are staying in our hometown getting in trouble, like I was traveling to mm-hmm. soccer tournaments. So that bled over to me into scholastics as, as well. But to me, it's fascinating how at such a young age, you were able to, and it it's no coincidence that you became an engineer because you literally just reverse engineered down. <laughs> yeah. You set a goal and you reverse engineered down of like, how do I become valedictorian? I do these habits every single day for four years. Mm. And it's so easy to say and to say, I'm going to do that, yeah. but it's so much harder to actually do it. And that's why I think I failed where, okay, I'm an athlete and I know I want to get recruited yeah i want to play division one and i want to get recruited and i want to get a scholarship but my actions weren't backing that up like in the gym my dad was like you need to go work out you need to put some weight on like i wasn't even 100 pounds going into high school but i was a really really good athlete so that's what saved me my skills saved me but nowadays when i look back i'm like if you match skill with effort you are world class yeah but if you just have skill like you just kind of become mediocre over a period of time and that's where i failed i didn't actually put effort and the time and basically the energy into it that you did, where did that come from? Because I value myself as like I was voted most competitive like in (laughs) in high school when I graduated, Yeah. but I did not have that like instinct in me until I would say college to really think like, this is a goal. I want to reverse engineer down. Was it your parents? Was it your friends? Like, where do you think it came from that? like I
1: think that the... I have my parents to think for a lot of it, and I don't think they ever told me to be that way. I think it was through an advantage I got early on, and that's that I was homeschooled for one year, and that one year of homeschooling set me apart for life. If you've ever read the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, he talks about these early advantages— and how things that set you apart early in life transpire into the rest of your life. And so that advantage for me was that one year of homeschooling. In kindergarten, I learned how to read chapter books, I learned how to write in cursive, I learned how to do my multiplication tables through 12 times 12. So it's like by the time I'm getting into classes in first grade, I know how to do the things I need to do for years. And so it's like I never had to struggle, even though I was getting C's, B's, and A's, which is so weird to look back on, I don't know why I got C's, B's, and A's, I was ahead and like, It's not unfair. It's not unjust. It's just what it was. I had that advantage and that helped me forever. And I think it's like, I was very lucky in that way because I now had one thing in my life that was just slightly easier than it might've been for other people. And that allowed me maybe to put more time or to think about other things I was interested in.
0: So you basically build up compound interest and Mm -hmm. it's, that's such a fascinating concept because I was—I forget what I was listening to recently, but they talked about, oh, Naval Ravikant and Tim Ferriss podcast. And he talks about how the problem with our education system is you go into the pre-calcs and the calculus of the world and most people in those classes don't even understand basic math because they just shuffle us along. They didn't actually build a strong foundation. So it sounds like you actually had a strong foundation before you were put into a place of competition because really competition it helps learning but it also inhibits learning oh yeah and being like competitive with grades inhibits actual learning versus that's the other thing with fitness i think you took from and i took from is i'm so passionate about fitness i don't compare myself to anybody but the person in the mirror how do what i eat what i do where i go why i go there how does that affect me and like the, the bubble around me it's yeah. never about anybody else or what yeah. anybody else is doing i don't know if you feel this way but when i was in in school Kind of the competition would get the better of me because it wasn't always about the learning. And as I look back, because we're talking about it right now, I'm obsessed with learning now. I'm not obsessed with getting the grade. So for you, how did that transfer into – so you're valedictorian in in high school, but in your college career – how did that transfer over for you? Because that's it sounds like an immense amount of pressure yeah. to go from okay, I'm valedictorian to now I'm going to this really big school and I want to be extremely fit. And obviously you still want to get your grades and everything yeah. like that. So run us through a little bit about Patrick's life and what was going through your mind coming into UT before you kind of hit that rut.
1: Yeah. So one thing I want to touch on before I forget, you were just mentioning the the fitness thing being for yourself. And now it's like you realize that all these things that you do. Uh, affect you and not about what it affects, how it affects other people. I think if I look at myself now compared to myself when I was 10, that's a major difference. It's like 10-year-old me didn't know any better. So 10-year-old me looks at people you know, on magazine covers or movies or whatever who look incredibly fit, naturally compares himself to them, and that had to be at least part of the insecurity. Whereas now, I think that you and I share that sense where it's like, it literally is about me yesterday, me today, me tomorrow. And it's just like, where is my trajectory going? And how is it impacting my life? It literally doesn't matter how fit anyone any other person is. So I just want to mention that.
0: What's up, guys? I'd like to take a second to thank you for tuning into this episode with Patrick Lyons. I hope you are loving this conversation so far. But before we get back into it, I have an opportunity I want to tell you about. As we all know, life is hard. It can beat you down, have you feeling low and make it seem like you are alone. I'm here to remind you though, that the most worthwhile journeys, they are not meant to be taken alone. And right now you have the ability to take action and join others, including myself, on the mission to make every heartbeat count. And this newsletter is one of the best ways for me to help you do so. So if you're looking to get to the next level of your life, connect with like-minded individuals and have a daily dose of info that will help you thrive, sign up for my newsletter at cjfinley.com. Now let's get back to the combo with Patrick Lyons.
1: Your question was about like going from high school, academic achievement, valedictorian type thing to college. So. I definitely entered college with the minds, the exact same mindset initially. And so what I mean by that is that I felt like, okay, if I was valedictorian of high school, why can't I be summa cum laude of college? It was like, I I just felt like it was the natural path to go. And so I went into my freshman year, first semester, I was taking 18 hours, which is like above what you're allowed to do. I had to get like a sign off to say that like, you can take above 17 hours. I was still trying to be that go-getter and I was still trying to get an A in every single class. And I did, I got a 4.0 my first semester. But it came at so many expenses, and I don't mean monetary, but like life expenses that were not worth it. It was like, I had the worst social life I'd ever had in my first semester, and it's because I was spending so much time in a quiet study room. I literally went to the 24-hour quiet study room after classes and gym, if I ever made it to the gym, and... I just studied there for hours and hours on end. It was like the worst class was government. It was like one of the prerequisite classes. And I don't mean that I'm against government. I mean that the textbook was thick and I had to read chapters a week and it took up hours of my life. And it was like, as soon as I got the 4.0, it was like, well, cool. But it was like, what was the point? And and I was starting to finally get this realization of school isn't everything. At least grades aren't everything. Whereas uh, high school, Patrick was driven by grades because Patrick knew that grades meant valedictorian and valedictorian was the goal. But some piece of me started questioning, like, what really is my goal in college now? Like, at some point, college is going to come to an end. And is it going to matter if I got an A or a B in this class? I don't know. Uh, My second semester... The answer was still, yes, it did matter. So I was still trying to get a 4.0 my second semester of college. Ended up getting an A in every class except for like an A minus in one class. No, I got a B. That's what, that's what ruined it for me. And I begged the professor. I was like, I got an 89.4. It was that close. And I was like, can you please round it up? This class is literally going to prevent me from getting a 4.0. And he said, sorry, that's against my policy. You got an <laughs> 89.4. Can't do anything about it. Patrick was crushed, but that was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because i no longer cared about the 4.0 it's like once it was gone and i wish that that wasn't the case i wish that i had enough control that i could just be like nah it doesn't matter but at least now it's been taken from me the 4.0 isn't ever coming back and so then it became about efficiency it became about okay i want to get good grades but i want to spend the least amount of time possible studying to still get the grades that i'm okay with and It's probably a different answer for everyone. But for me, I needed a 3.5 to maintain my full scholarship. I had various pieces and one of them needed a 3.5. So I was like, okay, I got to get at least a 3.5. And I basically found out I could cut my study time by literally less than half and still get that. And I was like, why didn't I do this
0: a year ago? Yeah, man. This is awesome stuff.
1: Yeah. And it was just like so much extra time. Like I mentioned earlier that one of the ruts I got into in college was I felt like I didn't have time. It was just like I was allocating my time improperly. I was putting so much of it into studying. Don't get me wrong, studying is important, especially if you're trying to work for uh, a corporate company at some point or get a good internship. But again, it's a trade-off. If you get a three, five and above, most internships, most companies, they're probably cool with it. They're like, wow, three, five, that's awesome. But
0: the theory that you're going through of like trading off is really, one of the reasons that I wanted to run through your entire story versus on other episodes, we don't necessarily do this, is because one, I'm obsessed with understanding how success is basically achieved and it's not an overnight thing like valedictorian is again not overnight versus especially in the social media world it makes you think that like things just luckily happen for people and it's like no like You showed up every single day for four years, so that happened. But then the next thing is also, I know your story, so I know that you kind of like constantly turned on burners and turned off burners because of the theory of understanding what is it that you actually want from life. And I think a lot of people in adulthood struggle with that because- again, of it stemmed through childhood of like the pressures that we went through. They never like kind of took a step back and be like, do I even need to work as hard as I'm working in this one area if that's not even my goal anymore? Yeah. And you're doing an, an amazing job of of running through that right now. So for you, it must've been crushing for you to get that B. Yeah. Had you or have you received any like hate up to that point of like, you're an overachiever or- you try too hard and things like that. Oh yeah. Run us through like yeah. kind of that side of things.
1: I mean, in high school, it, it totally, it was inevitable, but it was like, I guess it was a pretty even mix. It was like, some people are asking like, Patrick, I don't know how you do it. Like, how are you getting such good grades in all these classes and like still doing, I don't know, theater or speech and debate. And other people are like, Patrick, don't you feel like you're ever, like working too hard, man? Like what's the, what's the deal with that? And, I guess it was just like, I was so dead set on valedictorian. It didn't matter that people were hating on it. Um, I I guess that was just like a a fortunate thing that I was able to overcome. Uh, In college, it wasn't necessarily people were hating. It was just like, I was observing that other people were probably having a much better college experience than I was. Like I had, I kept running through in my head as I'm like doing homework and studying, like this was supposed to be the best four years of my life. And I'm just sitting alone in my room studying. A
0: lot. And it was just like not the best four years. Not even close. And what in your head like was the best four years of your life? What did that look like?
1: I mean, I was being influenced by what I would see on social media for sure. So it's like I would see people like with their college best friends who are the best friends they've ever made and just like, you know, hanging out, having a good time, feeling like they've met their lifelong friend group, um, that they're doing all the things they enjoy. And again, I just wasn't doing those things. Like I had a social life almost never my first year. And so I guess the best at that point in my life, the best four years of my life would look like just like having friends to be with all the time. I had a couple friends and they were inconsistent. And I don't mean that there was anything wrong with them. It was just like, I didn't make time. They didn't make time, whatever happened. And so like that was a huge thing that was missing for me. Again, it just goes back to the idea of community and I didn't have that.
0: So that
1: was what was missing.
0: I love that. And I think, again, it's just such a problem in a lot of people's lives where you set a goal and you start realizing that this goal isn't necessarily the ultimate goal that I have. And I think, at least for me, in my early twenties when I started thinking about like my purpose and like, what is my actual purpose of being here outside of, I need to score goals in the soccer game this weekend and I need to get my grades to maintain my own scholarship. Once you kind of get beyond that, it can become overwhelming. And I loved how earlier you touched on accountability. Like you were holding yourself accountable. And one of the things that we do, most humans do a terrible job is like holding ourselves accountable to when we're doing something negative and it's kind of hurting us because we don't want to change. Yeah. So how did you break out of that? You get the the B, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. What changed with you in between that year and then the next year to then ultimately achieve the college experience that you had hoped for? And yeah. again, anyone listening out there, I know we're digging into college and and things like that. The real reason that i'm digging into this is because it doesn't really matter your age your experience right now could be you're at a job and you realize you worked really hard and you didn't get the salary bump and you're like starting to question like is this the experience the life experience that i want and i'd love for you to run through kind of like how you created this college experience and for anybody listening whether you're in college not in college retired wherever you can shift your experience just like Patrick is about to get into yeah. right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, great point. So the first thing was something had happened that was out of my control, getting the B. Well, granted, it kind of wasn't my control, but at the same time, I couldn't change that it was a B. That was set in stone. And so once I accepted that, I was forced to kind of reflect on, okay, is this going to matter for the rest of my life that I got a B? And the answer really was like no. And... It just took acceptance. It took accepting that like, okay, this is a breath of fresh air. This is this is welcomed. And it was just a mindset shift. And from there, it really was a deeper reflection of like, okay, is this going to impact anything else in my life? If the answer to that is no, then what do I now want from life? Does this change anything? And again, the answer is no. Like, I still want to be driven. I still want to get good grades. I still want to like, be a high achieving person, but that doesn't mean I have to be quote unquote, perfect with a 4.0. So I think that that's the first step is just accepting that mindset shift and that that's okay. Uh, Cause for, you know, five years, I thought that wasn't okay. It was like, no, it has to be perfect. It has to be 4.0 or all hundreds or whatever it was. So once you get past that initial acceptance, then it's a reflection of like, okay, how much time can I save from no longer doing this? Or rather, like, how much time did I save now from no longer doing this? If you accept, like, okay, I'm making a change. I'm now not going to shoot for a 4.0. I'm going to shoot for a 3.5 and above. How much time do I now have and what do I want to do with that time? And for me, a big thing was fitness. It was like, okay, I've been slacking with the working out. Uh, This is a great way in which I can now fuel time into that. But Second, I kept touching on like the lack of community. Clearly, I wanted that and I wasn't getting it. Now, I need to use this extra time for that. So I started saying yes to as much as I possibly could. That was a big thing for me. It was like if someone invited me to something or if I found out about an event that was happening, I was telling myself, yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go to that. I'm going to meet these people. And not because I'm like a quote-unquote yes man, but like I was accepting it that those were opportunities. Every single time was an opportunity to build up that social life, to build up that community. And I wasn't allowing myself to say yes to that previously. And that's what allowed me to figure out what I was truly passionate about and what environments I actually thrived in versus not, what kind of people I vibed with versus not. And those things, the answers to those things even changed over time. Um, There was one group in particular It was one of the few groups who I actually did like occasionally make time for during that first year that I kept going around to. And eventually, after two years of trying to get into this club of people, I didn't get in. I was officially told like, no, unfortunately you didn't make it. That was a crushing moment for me because it's like, I've been seeking this community for so long. I've been putting myself out there for two years to be accepted in this community. And then they told me no. And so then what I realized is that I was seeking something that required permission or validation from someone else. And I flipped that and said, okay, I can't keep doing these things that are out of my control. I need to create the experience that I desire, that I crave. So I was like, okay, how can I create the community such that like I don't need permission, I don't need acceptance validation, and it just naturally happens. And That is in large part what led me to this content creation idea where I was like, I can create content with others such that I create the experiences that I crave. And I literally started a YouTube channel in which I do exactly that. Like I would run around different classrooms or libraries on campus dressed as like a T-Rex or Batman. I would do it with friends. I would have friends filming, friends in the videos. So it's like I'm creating these out of the world experiences or something that like no one had ever seen before. I was having a blast doing it because I have like this theater and speech and debate background where it's like, I love performing and now I get to do that with people that I love the company of. And that creator community is where I found what I was looking for in my college experience. And it's like, I can feel myself being happier talking about this now because it's just like, that's, it's what I love. It's what I naturally gravitated towards. And so it's like, once I accepted the B is fine, it's okay, I can put less time into it, then I have this whole world of things that I can now do that I am now doing. If I had not gotten that B and I hadn't somehow broken that mindset, I might have never started my YouTube channel and that might not have led to anything else that happened in my life that I can talk about in the rest of the podcast. And it's all connected and I have so much to thank for that B. But if I had any advice to anyone, it's like, don't wait for someone else to like, take away an opportunity from you for you to reflect on your current situation.
0: Oof, man. That's such good advice. And I, I was just talking about this today. and I've said it multiple times. Like, control your controllables at all times. Like, what can you actually control in this world is very few things. Yeah. You can control when you wake up. Your energy, how much energy, positive energy you put into the world. You can decide that. And then also your effort and your hard work, which you do a phenomenal job of. Quick sidebar, what T Rex video should people like if they're listening to this? What should they put in YouTube? Uh, you can do this, Patrick
1: Lyon's T Rex library prank, and that'll come up. There's like three parts to it, they're all I love them all. (laughs) What inspired
0: the T Rex part of it?
1: I think it was just like that was a costume I got for like Halloween or something, and I just wanted to create an absurd experience. As silly as that sounds, like I was watching all these other YouTube creators and i was seeing like different like pranks either like class pranks or library and i i laughed at them like i enjoyed them so i was like okay clearly this is something i enjoy what's a way i can add my own spin to this and i realized no one had ever done these things in a costume especially in a library and i was like it'll be kind of like a performance it'll be like put on a costume like the old days or something and uh Sure enough, like it was a hoot. And it was like so many just like natural things happened. Like one of the craziest things looking back is that the first time I ever did it, someone runs up to my cameraman and goes, I have a T-Rex costume too. I'll be right back. And he just goes and gets his own costume and he joins up with me. And oh there's my God, two awesome. T-Rexes running around <laughs> the library. And that kid ended up like filming multiple videos with me throughout the rest of college. And you never
0: would have met him unless you never like would have met him. him. Yeah, that's, never would have met him. And this brings up such a hot topic because one of the equations that I teach in all my clients and anybody that I'm mentoring is exposure equals opportunity equals currency. And currency can be anything that you that you name. It could be monetary. It could be I want more friends. It could be whatever the currency is that you're after. What you first have to do is expose yourself to uncomfortable things because yeah. it's not comfortable to put a T-Rex costume on and then go into a library where nobody's expecting you, right? But the opportunities that come from that exposure to what you put yourself through, then Equaled, okay, this other guy is going to do other videos with you. It's going to be way more fun. And one of the things I think you did and have done so well is basically find areas of your life where you're essentially breaking down what do I find that's fun is going to have an impact and then also is going to help move my needle forward. And that's where I think a lot of people have a tough time because again, we're constantly brought into the system of grades. Like you study alone, you go home and you do these things alone, you get tested alone. And then like, that's your validation of who you are as a human being, rather than reflecting back and saying, you know what, what is fun to me? What am I really good at? What is going to challenge me? And then what is going to get me to that next level of whatever goal that I'm attaching to and the T-Rex videos and all the other funny videos that I've, I've seen you, do it makes me think of that because i know that you're in theater and you're in speech and debate and the youtube videos really allow you to practice that skill yeah of potentially being i saw your your recent uh bpn video of like being an actor one day yeah. where a lot of people never think back to like okay if patrick is an actor now what was he doing prior to that it had it could have nothing to do with it it could be like your yeah. t-rex t- that was practice for this like yeah really high-end acting that you're kind of doing, right? Right. And the question that I kind of formulate from looking at all of that is, where does that show up in your life like in this very moment? Because it's very easy to look back Mm. and say, okay, the T-Rex thing led to this guy showing up, which led to this. Yeah. But in this moment, what are you doing right now that you think is exposing yourself to new opportunities? And the reason I ask you this question is because it's COVID and like things are slowing down for a lot of people. And we were just talking about everybody's lives are shifting and changing or whatever. But one thing I've noticed within myself is that I'm getting better and better at realizing that even sitting down and having this conversation with you, I'm learning so much. This is going to open up a whole new world in the future. And that keeps me, I think grounded is the word, like more at peace, more fulfilled, because I know in this little moment, it's going to lead to some type of opportunity or to some type of currency. But in your own life, What does that look like right now? What is like the T-Rex video in your life right now? That's a great question. (laughs) I've never heard it
1: like, what's the T-Rex video in your (laughs) life? Um, So I don't know if I have a T-Rex video parallel, but I did think of something very specific to mention, and that is that I am writing a book right now, and through writing that book, I have found all of the T-Rex video equivalents. And what I mean is that I have an entire section of the book where I envision, I, I have a theoretical question. And Viewer, uh, viewers listeners ask this to yourself if tomorrow was a completely free day what would you spend your time doing and like as simple of a question as it is i don't think almost anyone thinks about that because it's like we are so caught up in like what we have to do you know today tomorrow and the next day it's like we're not thinking about like what would we do if we were completely free and once you do that you're essentially crafting your ideal life you are envisioning what are all the things I love the most in this world or that I would put all of my time into if I had unlimited time. And then once you ask yourself that, it's a question of, okay, why aren't you doing that twice a week on Saturday and Sunday when most people have free time already? Maybe the answer is you have a roadblock like, okay, I have to go back to my corporate job on Monday and I wanted to travel. I can't travel. Now you know what your ideal life is, what's holding you back. Now it's just a matter of like, how do I bridge the two? How do I end the the holdup? And so. I went through that entire exercise of my own life and I identified like nine different things. I think that's the number, nine things that like, I, would, I think I would put all my time into if I was completely free. And as I was writing those, I asked myself that same question. I was like, why am I not doing these things already? Especially on Saturday and Sunday when like I usually have free time. And that literally started me down a path of like doing some of those things. It's like I've now gotten closer to my ideal life simply because I thought about what my ideal life is. That's the, kind of the first step. You have to know what you want to pursue it. And so one of those things is acting. BPN was a commercial that I did. And I also had professional headshots taken. So I'm now gonna be able to submit to a bunch of different agencies and hopefully get some more like commercial gigs and/or TV show potential, you know, type things. I'm thinking big because like for this to come to life, I have to think big. Yep. I have to have that big end goal. And it's like as crazy of an idea as it is, if I could become a professional actor. I would be so happy. Like, that is a goal that I had from a little kid age, going through theater and speech and debate, but something that I accepted as impossible. And then, as I've gone through YouTube, to your point, it's kind of like I was practicing for what I once wanted and what I still technically do want. And so, in a way, that is my T-Rex video. It's like, I... I crafted my ideal life in my mind and now I'm seeking that out and I have to get there by daily actions or at least big actions that add up to daily
0: potential actions. I love that you're thinking big and it's something that like my wife and I, Aaron and I do all the time because one, it just makes life more fun. Like you keep that dreamer in you as a little kid and I think a lot of people lose that. But it also like takes the pressure off, like submitting your headshots when you think of this big goal, like I'm submitting my headshots and potentially I'm going to be an actor one day submitting the headshots is such a little task at that point. Yeah. But a lot of people think submitting the headshots is like a major thing because they're putting too much pressure on this one little thing. But as soon as you relieve yourself of that pressure of like, you know, I'm just going to have fun with this. I'm going to list out like my ideal life. And my ideal life is like just going after the things that I say I want to go after. That's immensely gratifying way to go about life and now you have me questioning like i thought i was doing my ideal life like it's for those listening like it's sunday it's i'm looking at my clock here it's 3 43 like this is my ideal life like yeah. having a great conversation with one of my great friends in my office on a sunday most people maybe they want to sit the, back and watch football maybe they want to do other things but there is some gaps in my life where you brought up headshots and stuff. Like I would love to be in like couples magazines with my, with, with Aaron. And it does take, like, we need to get headshots and send those out. So I think I'm actually going to do that after that. So you made love that. And the book thing last time we had a conversation, like I started writing mine because I started thinking like, Oh shit. Like I've always said I wanted to write a book. Why not just start writing? Right. But I love how you, you piece that together and, for me, I know kind of like what's going on in your life right now from a from a business standpoint and YouTube, and I really appreciate you kind of breaking down how those aspects of your life have formulated, but I want to get out of college and past all that and really kind of dig a little bit into where Patrick's at today and what you're up to today. So that way anybody that's listening in the audience can either A, reach out to you and maybe break through some of their levels um, or B, potentially collab with you. So you mentioned your YouTube I know that it's been growing and it's been doing phenomenally well. But in the beginning, that obviously isn't the case. And for anybody starting a YouTube channel out there, I'm actually going to be looking into starting my own fairly soon. I had a call with a consultant the other day about it. What would your advice be for someone that potentially also wants to be a YouTube personality, an actor? get into speech and, and yeah. speaking because you've done a phenomenal job at that. But you've also, I know, have broken past some barriers that limit a lot of people. Yeah. Would your advice be to that person?
1: Yeah. So I like that you pieced those things together, like the YouTube, the speech and the acting stuff, because they are very related. And one way that that's happened or manifested specifically in my life is through what I did before I ever started YouTube. And that's Facebook Live. Uh, I'm not saying it has to be done in this order. You could do them you know, at the same time, but the reason that I I, I mention this is because. Before I ever started my YouTube channel, I think I had already done somewhere in the order of like 40 or 50 Facebook Live videos. And what that meant is I had 40 or 50 practice sessions before I ever released the first, you know,
0: YouTube video. And what did you even do before the Facebook Live? Before
1: Facebook Live, I did speech and debate for five and a half years. And it was like in that time, I gave over 600 performances in front of audiences. So it's like I built my in-person confidence to like speak one-on-one or speak to like a group in person. And I started out bad at that too. It's just like it took the repetition to get to a point where I felt confident I was good. But it's like the first time I ever filmed myself on camera, some way or another, like a lot of that confidence went away. It was yeah. awkward because it's like now I'm talking to a camera and it's just like, it just felt weird. I'm alone in my room. I'm talking to my camera. It's live. So like there's someone on the other side of that camera who could literally be watching right now. Everything about that was weird. And I still have that video posted and I've gone back and watched like a couple minutes of it. And it's just so Cringe to see because it's like it's that first time, it's the first time you've ever done something, and it's clear that like the confidence wasn't there, the certainty wasn't there, there were lots of ums and uhs, and it's like it wasn't as planned as it could have been, but it needed to happen. It was like you have to get through that first step, and so then by doing it every single week, I also should mention I watched it back every single week to make sure I could like see what I didn't like to make sure I never did it again. So that fixed a lot of things and my own camera confidence. By the time I got to the end of the year, it was no problem it was like i knew exactly how to how to talk how to formulate a video how to be confident so by the time i launched my youtube channel the first video makes it look like i've been doing this cuz i kind of have i've been doing it on the background in in another platform and like literally you could do that and never even post the videos if you just like recorded yourself you're talking to your camera you watch it back you're like i don't like that 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 you re-record it you're still practicing And that way you can be at least a little bit more confident when you put out the real thing. So that's step one, because then the first time you ever put out a video, you look better, you look more confident, it's higher quality, that kind of thing. Once you get past that step of like actually putting out a video, there are a couple of things. One is there is something to be said for like inorganic engagement. And what I mean by that is like every time I put out a video for the first probably year of my YouTube channel, I individually messaged about 50 people asking them to share the link. Because then, even if you know 10, 15 of them do, hits a lot better in the algorithms because it's I like call that hustle. Yeah, yeah, you, <laughs> you call were hustling, hustling. man. That's, yeah, that's awesome. Definitely. Um, and so I was doing that. I. I literally would make a teaser video. That's what I would put out on Facebook. The teaser video would have a link in the description and in the comments. That teaser video is what I would have the 50 people asked to share. So then when they share the teaser video, it's like, you know, the 20 or 30 best seconds. And then at the end, it says like, uh, click the link in the description to watch more. And then it's like the people who are watching on Facebook... If they liked the 20 seconds, they now know exactly how to get to the next thing where it's like I'm funneling them to my channel. And the reason why I mentioned all that is because it's really, really hard to get people to go from literally any platform over to another one. So it's like I was trying to break the system. Because if you just post a link to your YouTube video, unfortunately, Facebook, Instagram, literally anything doesn't really like that. They're not gonna show it to many people. Uh, So I just didn't do that. (laughs) I didn't share the link. I shared the teaser. Uh, So that's the inorganic marketing side of things. That helped. The other things are the thumbnail, the title, and the tags. The thumbnail and the title are literally what get people to click a video. So if you are trying to attract people who have never seen your content, who don't know who you are, those are the two things that will influence whether they actually click or not. So what you should do is find people who make videos like you want to make, that you want to aspire to be or be better than, And emulate your content around that. Not the entirety of the content. But like the thumbnail. Like look at the style. Look at like what makes you like that thumbnail. And try and like transfer that over into your own stuff. Same thing with the titles. The best way I like to describe it is clickbaity. But truthful. Because it's like if you have something that can really hook you in. In just a couple of words. But it's still completely truthful. No one's going to get mad at you for the title. No one's going to be like ah this is silly. But they might click. Because it's like oh.
0: Yeah they're not going to think twice about it. They're just
1: going to go. Exactly. So. And then the tags, uh, you can use something called TubeBuddy, and TubeBuddy on Google Chrome is a, a plugin where basically you can see what tags other people used. So it's like if you take those examples I was just giving where like you look at the content that you like that has like a good thumbnail, a good title, whatever, you can see what tags they're using too. And then if you look at like how recently they posted it and how many views they have, you can kind of like just relatively formulate, okay, if this has you know six million views but it was posted 10 years ago, this one has four million views, it was posted three months ago, that's the one you wanna look at. It's more recent and it proportionally has more views per month. So look at the tags of that video and copy them and then add some ones then that makes sense for your video. You do all of that, you're pretty much putting yourself in the best possible spot for everything that you personally can do. A lot of it is out of your hands because of Facebook, or, uh, YouTube's algorithms. The other thing is you may or may not have friends who are already well-known or famous on the app. And the reason why I say that is because you could literally do nothing of what I just said. And if you know one famous person, you're in a lot easier of a position. And when I say famous, it's a relative term relative to each industry. But it's like if you know one reach, person, reach, look, le- yeah. whoever
0: has a reach on whatever yes, platform you're Exactly.
1: So it's like if you can get connected with those people naturally somehow, great way to build an audience because if you can put their name in your video, you're already going to rank higher in the algorithms as long as it's actually truthful. So if you can put that into play, it definitely works and that's something that helped me. So
0: much value in that and I'd love to kind of give you a a spotlight here. What is your most famous video right now? Like how many Uh, views? Batman Class Prank with about 6.2 million views. And did you ever think when you started your YouTube channel that you have some video out there that has 6.2 million eyes on it?
1: I always wanted to, I'd never thought it was going to happen. Like I I knew that it was possible, but I didn't know if it was possible for me. And I didn't know how practical it was. I wanted it to happen. It still doesn't hardly feel real. It's like when people look at my channel, they're like 6.2 million views. I'm like, Oh, yeah, I did get That's video pretty cool, that. And yeah. it's just like
0: you put six – I tell people this all the time because like IG is a big thing and IG stories and people yeah. are self-deprecating being like, oh, I only have so many followers and only so many people look at my stories. But it's just like even if you have 20 people looking at your stories yeah. and you put 20 people in the room, they're listening to you. Like yeah. 20 people in a room is a pretty good number. Yeah. So it's just like you focusing on the value and what you're putting out there. And I have a, a pretty cool thing and I you're so consistent. Where I've kind of thought about this. It's so many people focus on getting people in the room and they forget that those people are in the room versus keeping the people in the room and inspiring them to bring somebody else. And I think that's what you've done a good job of. That's where the hustle comes, is just like, hey, I got 20 people in this first room but I want to make sure that I'm valuable to those 20 people and then I'm going to figure out the system of getting those 20 people to bring 20 other people and then those 40 people to bring 40 other people. That's an awesome way to think about it. I think you've done because I've watched what you've done with your Facebook lives and the different things that you do on your different channels and that's really at the end of the day the system that you're creating is inspiring other people to bring people to the party and to come back to the party because you're so consistent. If you're inconsistent It's just like getting invited to a party and then the party's date changed. Your likeliness of showing up to that party like now is in half versus you know Patrick is always going to be on. He's going to do his Facebook Live. He's going to do his YouTube. He's going to do these things. So it's much easier for me to anticipate going to that party and saying yes to that party. And then it's also easier for me to say, hey, Patrick does this thing on this day. It gives your fans and followers the ability to... Appreciate that consistency, and that's really when I look at you and your your holistic brand of everything you've been able to do. It's predicated off two things: your persistence to want to achieve those goals, and then the consistency in actually showing up and almost being stubborn to a fault um, <laughs> to go after them. Yeah. But unfortunately, we're getting into like our last ten minutes here, and I want to shift the, the end of this conversation more into kind of like your career path and where yeah. you're at today. I didn't really get into that conversation because people can find that on social or hit totally. you up and stuff like that. So I really appreciate you going along with kind of some questions yeah, that this was cool. were really kind of selfish on my end where I haven't heard of your story, but also painting a picture so that anybody in the audience can kind of see the the behind the scenes of what actually got you to where you're at today. But graduated college and you're working at Microsoft now. What is Run, run us through what it's like to work full-time at Microsoft, but then also you have a side hustle and and your own business. So what's a day in the life of Patrick right now? Yeah.
1: So one like small thing to uh, preface this with is that before starting work at Microsoft, as I graduated December 2018, I spent seven months. I took seven months off in a way working full time on my own business. My business is called the lion shred. It's a custom online fitness program, fully customized workout program, meal plan, accountability, Facebook accountability group, weekly check-ins, all of that. Did that for seven months. And that was a way of like experimenting with what, Again, kind of like that ideal life concept of like, okay, what would it look like if I did this full time? And I loved it. But it was like Microsoft was too good of an offer to pass up. I needed to do it for at least some amount of time. So I go through seven months of running my own business. Um, I had all the time in the world because I wasn't working for a corporation. So it was like, it went well. It went very well. And then my goal was to get to the end of that seven months, build it up to a point where it was scalable enough that I could keep doing everything that I was already doing for Microsoft. Sorry, for my own business, for Lion Shred while working full-time for Microsoft. So then Microsoft kicks in July of 2019. You know, I'm working a full-time job. I'm a mechanical sourcing engineer, which basically means that I like buy parts for our hardware devices, both Xbox, Surface Laptop, Service Pro, that sort of thing. And I manage the supplier relationships with our suppliers in China and other countries in Asia, mainly who make parts for our devices. Uh, I negotiate, I operate with strategy, that sort of thing. That's what I do in my day job with Microsoft. I'm still doing all the line head stuff. And that starts July of 2019. From July of 2019 through December, I'm doing both, full out, and I guess I wasn't as prepared as I thought I was. And the reason I say that is because I didn't let up on either of them. So I had to let up on something, and that's something was sleep. And so I averaged during those six months somewhere between five and six and a half a night that was really tough, especially because I'm a fitness coach. Like I'm advocating for yeah. health. <laughs> I know that getting five to six and a half hours sleep is horrible, uh, for a lot of reasons. And yet it was the only option I had, at least it felt like it was the only option I had, um, doing both. So that was really tough because it's like, especially because I would get to the end of a long work day, I'm operating on, you know, five, six, six and a half hours of sleep. And I still have to work on the lion shred or, and or, you know, YouTube stuff or social media stuff, whatever the case. So there was that like very imminent sense of like tiredness and not wanting to do more at the end of a long day, a long day of work and working out. But I did it anyways, because I felt like it was that, that grind mode where it was like, okay, I have this long-term goal of like, I want to build up my own fitness business. um, And like, this is the only option I have to do this. But as I started getting toward the end of the year, I was thinking about like, I'm not one to believe in resolutions, but I do believe in reflecting on change on a regular cadence and like if that happens to be the new year for you cool if it's your birthday if it's cool whatever but like that was one of the times where i was was starting to reflect as i got to the end of the year like is this sustainable is this what i want am i happy am i fulfilled all these sorts of things and i accepted that like i had to get more sleep like it was not sustainable my fitness was suffering my mental and physical health were not where i wanted them to be because i wasn't like allowing myself that recovery So it immediately became a question of like, okay, I know what I need to fix. How do I fix it? So I was trying to think like, okay, why do I not get enough sleep? What am I actually putting my time into? Especially like once I get out of my corporate job, what is all my time going to and where can I make things more efficient? And I wrote wrote about this in my book. It was such a simple thing and I just hadn't taken the, the time to reflect on. The simple thing was that after I got home from the end of a long day and working out, I would eat food, and then I would sit on the edge of my bed. And the second I sat on the edge of my bed, all motivation went down, all momentum was lost, the desire to do literally anything else was gone. And that made me feel like I had long nights, but it was really just like a large time suck where I was like maybe going into like uh, a YouTube hole where I was just watching all these videos and it was like, as soon as I realized that I was like, okay, I have to implement a rule in my life that I'm not allowed to sit on my bed at the end of end of a long day. As simple as that is, it's like using the bed only for sleeping, nothing else. So that like, one, I can fall asleep better. Cause it's like, that's the only thing I use it for. And two, I never lose momentum. So all I did, I sit on my chair at my desk and that's where I do my work. So it's like, I'm a heck of a lot more likely to do work if I'm sitting in my like work environment. And the reason why like, I'm describing it this way is because this is all in one room. Like, It's a tiny apartment in Seattle. Um, so it's like I just <laughs> walked around the bed and I'm sitting in my chair now. And so that saved easily like an hour of my life. It was like I just made the conscious effort to reprioritize time. It's like I was probably spending an hour on my phone watching youtube videos or whatever videos i was watching that now was going to go into sleep at the end of the night yeah so that helped everything because it's like now i can be more productive during the day i have more energy my workouts are more productive because i have more energy my you know ability to work on my own business is easier so all these things were happening all because i reflected on what was happening in my life so that was a big change. And I can <laughs> I can happily report that in 2020, I have averaged seven and a half hours of sleep throughout the entire year. So I'm getting my full sleep cycles that I want to get. And I, I feel like more energized constantly. I'm more able to work on both Microsoft and the Lion Shred. And I wish that I'd reflected sooner because I could have gotten, probably could have gotten sleep <laughs> that whole time. And I just, I wasn't
0: prioritizing, right? That's, I mean, first off, it's nice to hear you're human, um, <laughs> but I think it's something we all struggle with. And I mean, COVID has been a, a an enlightener to me of all the areas where I was slacking, as I would say. Yeah. And I mean, we're all humans. I'm human too. Like there are days where like I spend too much time on my phone, I'm spending too much time doing this or that, yeah. but I started really realizing there was consecutive days or weeks where I wasn't utilizing my time as best as it could be utilized. And I love how you broke it down to your bed because a lot of people don't realize how small some of these things could be. So a good instance that I noticed with certain people and and when I give advice is I'll ask them like, when you first wake up, when do you grab your phone? And that's like the easiest thing that to tell with people if like they're Maximizing your time because a lot of people put their phone, their their phone is their alarm. Yeah. And I used to do that. So, one of the things I did was I put my phone outside my room. My chances of picking my phone up right when I woke up dramatically dropped because when I get up, I'm now like, oh, I need to go grab water. I need to meditate. I need to read. My phone's not even in my head because it's not even in sight. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm going to go do these other things, and then I'll get back to my phone. And I noticed that it had a such a profound compound impact awesome. because then once I went through those other areas of my life, once I did pick up my phone, I was already on my laptop working, and my phone didn't have the ability to distract me mm-hmm. because the time that I picked my phone up is now at like eight or nine, and I'm much more in control, I think, of my brain at that point yeah. versus like when you first wake up, you're not you're just waking up. So you're just like, I'm just trying to like figure out the day and see what I have to do today and like spend some time on myself. So it was kind of the opposite for me where because I had drowned out the first part of the day, I was going to sleep later because I didn't feel satiated, I think. Yeah. So I looked at like the first part of my day where it was just like no more going on my phone. And now it's much easier for me to like at the end of the day, nine, 10 o'clock, go to bed earlier because yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't need to do anything else. I had kind of checked everything off because I took the phone out of it and was like, what do I need to get done today yeah. rather? So it was really cool to hear you kind of give another perspective on that because now I'm gonna think of my own life. Where am I like not setting myself up for success, yeah. whether it's sitting in the right area or we just hosted a lunch and learn and my friend Courtney Peacock talked about your environment is everything. Oh yeah, Literally environment is such a uh, tell of like how efficient you're going to be. And it's tough when you're in that little Seattle apartment. I I lived in Nashville and had kind of the similar scenario. I understand what that's like. But you're not there anymore, actually. And I'd love to kind of end on, I know COVID has had a a big impact on a lot of businesses and and people out there. How has it impacted both aspects of your life, whether it's Microsoft or the lion shred?
1: Yeah. So I love that you asked that because This is something I don't think I've touched on on social media. I've thought about it. I might make a post at some point. But basically, the month where COVID first started directly impacting America, or at least uh, Washington, where I was, Seattle, Washington, was March. And March was the single worst month of the lion's shred that I've ever had, ever since like literally, you know, 2018, uh, when I started the business. And that was really hard. It was like I started to doubt whether this was going to be sustainable, whether I could do business, whether I could run my own business. And that was, it was like a sample size of one, you you know, but it was still like, it was easy to pigeonhole myself into thinking like, right now is really bad. And that was really scary. And then I realized that I had a product that was no longer currently as meaningful as it once was, if at all. I I think I tried to describe it to someone as like trying to sell toddler clothes to a teenager. It's a different world, but it's like the teenager literally would never need. They're still needed to
0: somebody, but where are those? somebody? Exactly.
1: And so then it became like, okay, in that same parallel, it's like, I just need teenager clothes. And so in the, in the world of my business, it was like, I needed a fully customized at home workout program. I had made, you know, one-off at home programs for people before who just like, weren't able to get to the gym or something, but I'd never created a full out at home program. As soon as I launched that, as soon as I possibly could business went at, back up to above where it was before COVID. And that was the moment that I knew that like, this is sustainable forever. And I don't mean that like, there are never going to be hard parts. I just mean that I am an adaptable business owner that I can take hard situations, find out the problem and make an adaptation as a result. And that was, that was a game changer for me because it was like the confidence that I needed to get out of that March, 2020 COVID rut. Um, so that was a big thing. And then in terms of what I'm doing now, so, you know, COVID has happened, uh, COVID has been a thing for, I guess, seven months now, and about five months, four and a half months into it, I moved back to Dallas, Texas. Um, so I was doing the whole COVID thing in Seattle for a while, and it felt rather isolating because you know I'm staying in this tiny apartment, we can't go to the office for Microsoft, um, so I'm doing all of my work from home, and my apartment is tiny, so I'm getting very little, little movement in at all. I had to very intentionally place movement into my day by like going for a walk every day after work, Um, which is fine, but it was like everything had to be so intentionally planned to even have a chance at having like the normalcy that I wanted. And so moving back to Dallas made a lot more sense because I could live with my parents. I had a bigger house, a bigger space to be in. It's warmer weather most of the year. And so I had more of a gravitation toward being outside. I like being outside. I like the feeling of walking outside as opposed to like, staying inside of my tiny Seattle apartment. So everything was better for like my mindset and things like that. And I just know more people here. And so it's like, I I love being around my friends in Dallas and Austin. Um, So all of that to say the environment is really what kind of drew me back to Texas, because even though I was able to successfully run my business during COVID in Seattle, it wasn't as happy for me. And I think happiness is a big thing beyond just fulfillment from a job or entrepreneurial endeavor. You have to have both. Um, I do think they're separate. And that's the thing I touch on in my book. <laughs> um, but yeah, so now I've been in Dallas living with my parents for about two and a half months. Um, Microsoft has extended our COVID work from home optionality thing until July of 2021. So I'll likely be in Texas for at least
0: another nine months, eight or nine months, whatever that is.
1: So that's where I'm at now.
0: That's amazing. What are, what are the plans for the nine months in Texas? Anything <sighs> big that you're um, eyeing
1: up? Well, I mean, a big thing is just like, I have so much time during COVID now. And that is such a blessing. And what I mean is that I don't have a commute. Like I don't have to yeah. go to and from work. And so all of that time is going into my business, into my book. I've started another business called the Online Coach Academy that I didn't talk about previously. But it's like a, a way to learn the science behind all things fitness. It gives you a fitness online coach certification. And so it's like if it wasn't for COVID, not for, if it was for COVID, but if it wasn't for the time that I have now, I probably wouldn't have written my book, at least not yet. I probably wouldn't have been able to build out the Online Coach Academy as much as I have. And it's like I'm doing all those things. And so with these next nine months, I want to build all of that up as much as possible. Like I I have to take advantage of the time. I am taking advantage of the time. I have daily habits to make sure that even if I don't take on a new client, I still have something I can work on every single day because that makes it so that I never feel like I am like – failing, quote unquote, because that was a thing that I used to struggle with as well. It's like, if I didn't take on a new lion trade client, or if I didn't have a check-in with a client, I feel like, like, what am I doing with myself today? So I made sure I have something to do every single day, and that manifested in the self of daily personal development that directly fuels a lesson of the Online Coach Academy. So no, I could talk to zero people. I'm still working on my business today. Because I have that mandatory, non-negotiable, I'm going to learn one new science-based thing in the world of fitness and nutrition or health. And I'm going to create a lesson around it. And if I do that every single day, I'm growing as a person and I'm growing my business
0: and I'm fueling the success of hopefully in the future. Yeah. And that's the biggest struggle for a lot of business owners out there is they don't realize that like what you do now in this moment actually has a bigger impact like two years down the road, five years down the road. Like A good instance is like I read at least 20 pages every single day of a book, right? And it doesn't seem like a lot, but over a five-year span, you're like, wow, I've read 300 more books than the average person. And in your everyday life, it shows up more, like you're solving problems quicker, you're connecting with people faster. And that's something that I've really realized is what separates people is, it's not that you should really care about getting that client or not getting that client, it's what can I learn so that I can get thousands of clients five years from now and be able to sustain that? Because a lot of business owners, what they struggle with is like, even if I gave you 100 clients right now, you're going to be like, how do I actually sustain these hundred clients? But when you have free time, what you really should be building is a system to work up to the hundred clients. So it's constantly, and this is the struggle of being like a solopreneur like yourself, which is constantly working on the front end of the business, which is getting clients, accepting clients, managing clients. And then the back end of the business is building the foundational structure to be able to handle more clients. And that's really where people struggle because it's easy to be on the front end. It's easy to like I want to get more clients. I want to make more money. I want to do these things. But the hard work really comes into, I need to study more. I need to read more books. Yeah. I need to maybe find a mentor and learn and reduce my ego. So it's, it's awesome to hear you break that down and what that looks like in your life. Cause it looks different yeah. for everyone out there. You're studying the science of health and wellness. And then like for someone like me, I'm constantly reading up on how do I help my clients scale their companies? So yeah. it's like when I walk into a meeting, it's, Game time. It's yeah. it's just easy, and right. the easiest way I can kind of reflect on this is I listened to the Matthew McConaughey Tim Ferriss podcast recently. I highly recommend you listen to that because he talks about his journey of like potentially becoming a lawyer and how that shifted into acting. Interesting, and it reminds me of you because of the engineering and then shifting more into the creative space. Um, but he, it's it's a very good podcast. But at the end of the day, what they kind of were talking about is exactly what we're talking about, which is maximizing time. And Matthew McConaughey, he's a happy-go-lucky guy that's kind of comedic and likes to have fun. And people would always be like, you just seem like you're winging it. Like you just seem like you're just naturally good at this and you're lucky, right? and he talks about he's like i studied harder than anybody else out there and because i studied so hard when it was game time it looks like it's easy yeah because i'd already went through the scenario in my head so many times that when i got into the scenario it just happened and that's, awesome. that's kind of like where i want to end cuz that just for re- i i just remembered that i listened to that when i was cleaning out my garage yesterday and it reminds me of kind of like your path and how on the outside it might seem like oh man this has just luckily happened in your life, but you're constantly on the grind of like pushing the pedal forward. And it's an inspiration to not only me, but a lot of people out there. And the last question I always have for everybody, keep it under a minute, um, is what is your moonshot goal? And what I mean by that is when you look back on your life, say we get 50 years ahead and you look back on life, what do you have hoped that you've said you achieved? And it's, it looks like for me, it's, education reform, which is like, I've helped educate a lot of people out there and inspired them to continuously learn and do better. Um, and to like help a million people thrive, quote unquote. But what would that moonshot goal be for you?
1: Yeah. So for me, it's, um, lifelong fitness empowerment and transformation. So and I ironically have the same thing. I would like to transform a million lives. And I've had to think about, how that manifests, how it occurs. And that's what's fueled a lot of the actions that I take on a daily basis and realizing like I alone obviously can't transform a million lives, but I can help others help others. And so if I can empower others to experience what 10-year-old Patrick to 25-year-old Patrick learned in that 15 years, and I can condense that into, you know, programized approaches to life and fitness, um, there's just nothing more empowering than that. And that's what I, I work to make happen on a daily basis. So transform life, transform the mind, transform fitness and health,
0: um, and do it for as many people as possible. Awesome, and that bleeds over into everything else. And I love how you, how you put that because it hits home with me in so many different levels. But if there's someone out there listening and they'd love to contact you and get in contact with you and start a conversation, what is the best way to reach you? Easiest way is gonna be through Instagram, just
1: at Patrick Lyons, Patrick, like it sounds, and then L-Y-O-N-S for the last name. And then uh, if you want to watch some YouTube videos, look at Patrick Lyons. But it's Patrick Lyons on pretty much every platform. Awesome. And before we go, is there any final words that you have for everybody? I think final words is identify your long-term goals and identify the non-negotiables that it requires to get there. Because too many people have goals that have no guidance. And if you don't give yourself guidelines to follow, if you don't give yourself rules in which you manifest in your own life as requirements, what's going to keep you from actually, or what's going to allow you to actually get there? And the answer is you probably won't allow yourself to get there. So give yourself non-negotiables, incorporate those into your daily habits. The habits are what compound into the long-term
0: achievement. I love that. And something I always do at the end of every episode is kind of like reflect on what was the biggest impact that the guest has had on me in this conversation. And for you, this is kind of an easy one. It's just your constant ability to reflect and adapt to what that goal is and then turn it into action. And I think a lot of people, and then including myself in my early 20s and beforehand, I was good at taking like chaotic action, but I wasn't necessarily good at creating that checkbox of like, is this truly what I want? And reflecting back every single day, every single week on, is this the path that I really want to go on? So I think that's super powerful for anybody else out there to hear. It's just like, if you don't, reflect right now you're just on a hamster wheel and you don't really you're never going to achieve that goal they actually achieve so i love what you just said there because that was the biggest takeaway for me is that it doesn't really matter how many goals that i achieve or how many things that i achieve it matters more so am i looking at am i Am I looking at what is it that I want to achieve and am I on that path right now to achieve that thing? Am I enjoying that in a moment? Just like you said, am I happy? Am I feeling fulfilled? Because yeah. if I'm not, I have to change that checklist. And yeah. I think a lot of people out there are on a checklist that they don't necessarily love or are happy or fulfilled by. And they can switch that pretty easily just by, again, taking a step back and saying, if I had a free day what would I do with my life? So thank you for coming on here and spending your Sunday with me, Patrick. I really, really appreciate it. This is CJ Finley with the Thrive On Life podcast. I'll talk to you guys soon. Thrive on. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. And on behalf of our small team at Thrive On Life, I'd like to thank you for listening to one of our episodes. Our mission in life is to help people like you fuel your passion and make every heartbeat count. And we realize the best way to do this is together as a team. So we'd love for you to join in on this mission and connect with like-minded individuals within our Thrive On Life community. To do so, please head to thriveonlife.com and join our Mighty Network. In this network, you will find a diverse group of people that is on a mission of self-improvement and honing the mentality to get 1% better each and every day. Within each improvement we make as individuals, we can then be of service to this world and help it get better as a whole. What's awesome is we've already had people make new friends, receive job offers, and collaborate on new business and creative opportunities. But most importantly, within this group, you will be guaranteed the ability to learn, grow, and share experiences with other like-minded individuals. I know the community would love to connect with you. Before I sign off though, I'd like for you to always remember one thing,